It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. I'm joined this week by Steve Anglesey and Jerry Scott. Um, we'll take you through the news in a moment, and then later on we will once again be crowning our Brexiteer of the Week. Um, but firstly, chaps, welcome. Um, I think we would be uh, remiss of us not to speak about um, Theresa May and another fairly dreadful week for her. What's happened to the Tories, Steve? Well, I don't know, but it's very exciting, isn't it? And quite amusing, really. Um, I think this is one of the worst campaigns I've ever seen. I think it's certainly one of the worst Conservative campaigns I've ever seen. It's making Amanda Platell and William Hague look convincing. <laughs> uh, I think um, uh, we've got a letter in, in the edition of the New European which comes out uh, this Friday, the, the, the 2nd of June, where, I, I, and I, I forget if you're listening, sorry, I, I, I've forgotten who, uh, who wrote this, but somebody described it as a, really, as a very arrogant campaign, and I think it is an extremely arrogant campaign. Uh, I think that, I mean, they mentioned sort of mindless catchphrases, which I think is something if you are politically inclined and you watch Sky News all day, as we do, uh, and it's easy, quite easy to mock, and, and certainly in my sort of social media bubble, that is a big issue. I think it's less of an issue for people who just tune in for a little bit every day and maybe pick up a couple of things in the papers. Um, but it's an arrogant campaign, obviously, in, in terms of the lack of engagement with the general public. Not appearing in the leaders' debate um, has been a, a, a complete disaster, and uh, and Amber Rudd took the took the flak for that uh, a couple of days after a, a you know a family uh, a family um, tra- a tragedy, uh, which I think was particularly poor form as well. Uh, I think that's ended really badly for Theresa May. Um, I think um obviously the um the uh, what has really been a, a huge disaster has been the the dementia tax and then the dementia tax u turn and then the pitiful denial that it is a u turn uh and um and I, I think the uncosted manifesto it was a, it was a real disaster as well um i think but i think they've been on the back foot from uh from the the moment that they announced the the, the manifesto I think um well I would agree with all that certainly. I think on the on the point of the the uncosted manifesto, if you're gonna go after Labour um on how they look after the purse strings and how they have done in the past, 
then you've got to cost your manifesto, haven't you? It seems sure. outlandish that they wouldn't do it. Um, Jerry, where do you think the wheels fell off? Well, frankly, I think the whole thing's embarrassing. And um, and really, you've just got to look at Theresa May's reactions. You know, Steve talked about her engagement with the public and her engagement with the media. But she, I feel like she almost looks at voters with utter contempt sometimes when they ask her a question. You've just got to look at a voter utter the other day why she wasn't appearing on the leadership debate. And her response was... It was, it was really strange to watch, actually. Her face contorted in a very strange way. And then she, you know, said that she was going to be out meeting the public instead of doing that. But I, I think there was some suggestion yesterday that's not actually what she was doing either. I think that um, what we found is that uh, Theresa doesn't like to be put in any kind of difficult or stressful situations, does she? I mean, she seems reasonably at home in, in PMQs, but sit her in front of a journalist who's trying to catch her out and she comes across as a very awkward, uh, difficult, almost robotic character. Um, and I, the, her campaign people despair. Um, I've got a good source inside the campaign who, um, you know, will, has told me on numerous occasions about how chaotic it's been and how how concerned they are. And I think I think there are certainly some regrets about this election being called. Do you think, Steve, that? Theresa would think twice if she, uh, in in hindsight, if she'd known how she would have performed. Well, yeah, and I think it's she's almost taken herself by surprise, hasn't she? Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I know that Conservatives have said, and, and and you know, sources have been quoted several times as saying that they know that she isn't great with the general public, and she isn't a great sort of one-on-one debater. Although, to be fair, she has been. You know, PMQs, as you say, she's been very effective against Jeremy Corbyn, I think, uh, for, for for a long time. Um, she is extremely awkward, as Jerry says. Uh, it feels very unnatural and uncomfortable for her. I just think they thought this was going to be really easy. I think they they expected, you know, something... Jeremy Corbyn's trousers to fall down. <laughs> still <something>. might. <laughs> you know, it, still time. all of this might happen. That, and, you know, if, if you would say the one thing about Jeremy Corbyn's performance during this campaign, which has been generally exemplary, hasn't it? But at some point he has gone... Somebody has said to him, shall we put Diane Abbott on the telly on Sunday? And he's gone, that sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> so he's still got that. Um, and I'm still expecting the Conservatives to win and, and win quite handily, you know. Um, but it has been a very poor campaign and, and she is not very good at this. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think the Tories are, are going to win, but they've certainly tried not to. They seem to be doing everything in order to scupper their chances. Has um, Jerry? has Corbyn's performance surprised you? Um, yeah, it has, because you know, some of his earlier appearances were shambolic and you know not just him but members of the shadow cabinet you just got to look at diane abbott with that now infamous interview but i do feel that he's improved quite a lot his his responses are relaxed they're they're measured and i actually think he's coming across to voters as really likable is it because he's been more exposed and we we've got to know him a little bit better do you think yeah possibly possibly but um I think uh, Paxman's interviews really kind of highlighted how comfortable he's become in front of the camera and taking questions, completely contrasted with how uncomfortable Theresa May was. Well, I think he's got that, you know, I think like like Boris Johnson in 2015, like Farage, you know, 
I, I hate to say anything positive about those two, but like Boris Johnson, like Farage, despite and despite being a career politician, Jeremy Corbyn has got that element of non-politician about him, that which you know Farage, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump have all played to with great success. Um, and uh, and I think the more people see of Jeremy Corbyn, the more they uh, begin to understand that he doesn't eat babies after all and uh, he's not got the IRA and Hamas coming round his house for a disco um, every no well, not maybe not maybe not during the campaign at least. Speaking of Farage though, um, maybe a bit of a kiss of death for Jeremy Corbyn when Farage tweeted his support for him and saying how well he did, which I thought was uh, quite interesting. Yes it was. Yes. But a spot when you you know, even when you look at YouGov who've come out with these weird polls, which the Conservatives are, you know, we believe they are secretly worried about them, even though they're doing as much as they can to, to disparage them. Even when you look at YouGov from yesterday, a couple of days ago, I don't, I think the polling, the, the, uh, the, the polling was actually done, and who is going to, who would make the best Prime Minister is still, Theresa May has still got 12% lead. Only 30% of people said that Jeremy Corbyn would be the best Prime Minister. Um, something like, you know, I think it's five, only 5% of people think um, Labour are, are going to win or have the most seats. So is this a Clegmania-style mid-election bounce like we had in 2010 with, with Nick? Well, I, I think it probably is, but, it, well, God, it would be so amazing if it wasn't. Well, let's talk about that poll, um, which the Times printed on their uh, on their front page on Tuesday, I think, or Wednesday, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, it was much laughed at on on social media when it was first put out by Sam Coates, who the journalist who wrote it. Um, but it, it's not actually a, a poll, strictly speaking. Um, it is a piece of it, it's a it's a much more complicated and, according to YouGov more accurate way of finding out how people are going to vote. So normally they would ring uh, a, a selection of the demographic um, or, or it could be online polling, of course, and then they would project those findings across the whole country. With this, they take very small samples, only 75 people, from each and every constituency. On top of that, they laid data um, to, 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 give it, um, to, to make it more reliable, um, from other polling and other data, historical data and things like that. And that's what's given us this uh, suggestion that there's going to be a hung parliament. Um, Jerry, when you first saw the poll, what did you think? I mean, it's it, shocking, um, ray of light, maybe. I, I do think, you know, traditionally there is a bit of people who tend to vote Tory might not admit it. <laughs> Um, which sounds which sounds ridiculous, but it's shy kind of showing, yeah, shy is talk, which, shy is the, which is the category that I always look up on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but since since that um, poll, there's actually been more who have uh, kind of said that the gap is even even closer than was predicted. I think it's really difficult to tell because without without sounding too much like a politician myself. The only poll that matters is on June the eighth, and is. no, 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 it's, it's like a difficult. Theresa May was here. <laughs> She's here with you. Strong and stable, Jerry Scott. <laughs> there is only one poll that matters. You're quite right, but but this, I I got very excited by this. It's very similar, actually, the polling that's been used to a method uh, used by the University of East Anglia. 
um, and Chris uh, Hanretti. Um, and his has a very different outcome, in fact, suggests that the Tories will um, will uh, win across the board. So someone's doing something slightly different, and we will see whether YouGov uh, or uh, Dr Chris win. Um, but it's called multi-level regression and post-stratification. Um, is is the actual term? So can we not call it a poll from now on? <laughs> no, no, okay. uh, Chris Hanrity, actually a former lecturer of mine. Um, oh, really? So I would, I, I do, uh, I do think he knows his stuff. He does. He called the last one, although he, although they got the overall result uh, wrong, um, the, it, it was close and within the margin of error. And his margin of error is much smaller than YouGov's, which in, was something like seventy seats, I think. Yes. Um, yes. So we, we will see. We will see what happens with that. And I think we've already. I mean, there are some weird things. In it, aren't there? When you go through it, constituency by constituency, you know Amber Rudd losing. Much as I would love that to happen, I, I, I really don't think that's happening, and I don't think any of the local parties on the ground see that happening. There was a, there's a, there's a seat in East Anglia where um, uh, which is which is our sort of home patch at the New European. Uh, which is leaning one way, and uh, even the local party don't seem to think that it is going to go their way. Um, so, and uh, and in the constituency that I voted in 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 Watford, uh, just outside of London, uh, that, that seems uh, that's it, the, the, their view of that seems quite at odds with what I've been told by local campaigns. So, C- certainly, no one on the ground that I'm talking to um, is. He's hearing anything like um, those predictions, but YouGov have backed it up with a more traditional poll mm. that has them only three points, uh, three points adrift. Labour only three points adrift. So, there, so there's there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of things uh, going going on with regards to the polling and who's getting it right and who's getting it wrong. And, and t- time will tell. Of course, the Comrades polls seem to be much more like we we might have expected. Um, do you think, hand on heart, that? Corbyn can shock me. I think you've already answered that, Steve. What about you, Jerry? Mm, no. <laughs> as much as I, as much as you might wish it and will it, and um, I'd, I'd quite like to see it happen, just to see the whole thing in disarray. To be honest, I quite like to watch the world burn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, you often I don't hear think that so. on political <laughs> podcast, do you? <laughs> right. Well, on that bombshell, <laughs> let's let's let's. We've talked about the Tories. We've talked about Labour. We've talked about how Jerry wants to set the world on fire <laughs> in a bad way, by the sounds of it. Um, what about the Lib Dems? What has happened to the Lib Dems? If you look on social media, um, at, which I have done uh, for April the eighteenth, you will see lots of Lib Dems uh, candidates, uh, members of Parliament as they were then, activists, supporters saying, this is perfect for us, this is brilliant timing, they just had that wonderful by-election victory, and they seemed to think they were going to grab their 50-odd seats back again. That's not going to happen, is it? Why? What has been lacking in the Lib Dems campaign, Steve? Uh, I think that it has come at a bad time. I think Nick Clegg said this the other day, that it has come at a politically difficult, I think was the phrase that he used, time for the Lib Dems. Uh, We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, although I'm sure a lot of our listeners would disagree, I think that there is a a growing uh, feeling uh, in the country that this is almost inevitable now and that we should um, 
we should, uh, well, to, I hate to use a Theresa May phrase, but get the best possible exit deal we can and then start thinking about referendums rather than agitating for uh, another referendum immediately straight away. So I think that that has, has spiked Tim Farron's guns uh, a little bit, um, but I also think that, you know, I mean, the camp- their campaign did almost begin and end on the on the 18th of April, didn't it, when he, he was asked for the first time uh, about um, gay, uh, whether whether uh, gay sex, gay marriage was a sin. Uh, he gave a really unconvincing answer, didn't he, to that. It was, he cl- tried to clarify it two or three days later, didn't really clarify it. He was sort of being heckled in Parliament about it for a couple of days. He didn't really come out and say, of course it isn't. Uh, until you know, I think it was all, it was five five days to a week later, and that finished the the, um, the the Lib Dem campaign. And then he popped up again on the leaders' debate. He had a couple of really good lines, didn't he? The, the line about Bake Off was obviously one um, for the uh, for the for the tabloids. The the, the better one was was kind of, which was sort of look outside your window. She might be outside sizing up your your house for to take your, <laughs> take your house for, for to pay for your dementia tax. I thought that was really good. That was a really great line, and it was and it was almost nice to see him again. But they have become irrelevant again, um, and. You know, and and to to be truthful, they're they're really sort of back to where they, they're, they're back to their mean, aren't they? You know, if you look at if you look at twenty ten as a big outlier, um, then they, they then they really are back to where the, the the Lib Dems always have been. And and the interview with him um, uh, in the Guardian the other day was actually I actually found quite sad, and it was quite sad to read where he sort of said, you know, as long as I look my children in the eye and I'll, I'll be able to know that I've done a, the best I can in these difficult circumstances and I will be proved right in two years or three years or whatever he said. You know, it was that that was the, the talk of a man who, who knows that the, the jig is up and, and they will... Um, you know they 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 will really struggle to to improve their their seats or hold on to the the, the same number of seats they had. And they've got problems in the West Country, haven't they? Obviously, they've got they've certainly got problems. Um, I I think they might I think they might break even. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, but I don't think they can really expect to to do a great deal better than that. And I would have predicted that they would have had a better campaign. And I don't really think there have been some occasions where Tim maybe hasn't quite got it right, but. There's a great interview um, with him in the um, in the New European this week. Uh, we had a correspondent who spent a day Anthony with him. Clavain, yeah. That's right, yeah. And um, and it, it's a it's a fascinating piece actually. And Tim comes across really really well. And um, and when I spoke to him, I spoke to him, interviewed him right at the start of the campaign. He is happy to give you half an hour. He's not trying to rush you off. He'll answer your questions as as best he can. Um, it's just not been enough and I think that uh, Brexit alone uh, uh, as Theresa May is maybe finding out um, y- you can't win the election on 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 one on one topic alone and and for, for Tim to completely nail everything onto Brexit was maybe in hindsight a little bit foolhardy yes I think that I think that that is probably right and, and I think you know apart from the leaders debate, and and he is a he is a, a a nice guy, and when he's given prolonged airtime, he does perform okay. Um, 
But I, 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 I'm really unconvinced that he's a any that he's anyone who is is ever going to raise the Lib Dems above you know ten twelve percent in the polls. And and you and you think about who could do, and you know it's probably Joe Swinson who's not even well nobody's an MP at the moment, but she she didn't she she was voted out two years ago and and is facing a really you know difficult uh, challenge. It would be really difficult to win back that seat. And then you go on to people like Greg Mulholland, who again is somebody who is he describes himself as as, as pro life, doesn't he? Is again somebody who's voted against abortion, and you know you think look at these people and you, Tim Farron and Greg Mulholland did they actually read, did they look at the word liberal in the in the application <laughs> form? It's, it's not very liberal, is it? And not then, a very liberal you, democrat, you know. And then you're getting on to, to Norman Lamb and Vince Cable and this kind of older generation, or maybe. You know, maybe it's maybe Rachel Johnson will be the leader of the, the Lib Dems by the time <laughs> the next election rolls around. Who knows? Well, well, just before we we wrap up the news, um, we should talk about the future of the leaders. Um, do you think uh, I'll just go around round the horn, as it were? Um, do you think that Tim, if he performs as you believe he will, will fall on his sword, Steve? Uh, I think if they lost seats, it would be very hard to stay on. But then, obviously, if they do lose, lose seats, <laughs> the, the talent the talent pool to replace him is is, um, is is even smaller. And all of their majorities are tiny, aren't they? Way for thin. I'm not sure they've got a majority above four or five thousand. Mm. No, and I think uh, I I agree. But I think that the seats they that they will hold on to, and I do agree, they'll probably break even. It's kind of down to these those individual MPs and the work they've done in that area, rather than having the Lib Dem tag. I feel. Yeah. Okay. What about um, what about Corbyn? His position is looking very strong now, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I think it is looking very strong. I think um, I think the, so. The hundred seat landslide that we were talking about, if that comes to pass, which and it still might come to pass, very very easily. I, I really I don't. I would like to believe these polls, but I really do not believe them. So if it is the 100-seat landslide, I think it would be very hard for him not to go immediately, despite the obvious uh, problems that that would give to his wing of the party, because, frankly, nobody is going to, uh, but it, nobody is going to lend uh, people from the, uh, from the far left enough signatures to get on the, the ballot next time. That's not going to happen. Uh, 50, 50, 75... You know, eight, maybe between 50 and 80 seat majority, I think he would probably stay. Anything under that, he would certainly stay. I think the 50 to 80 scenario, though, he's not going to be staying for very long, is he? And they are going to have to try and find somebody who is... Um, who is uh, who? All sides can can sort of rally behind. I'm not really. I'm not even sure who who that is. And anything under that, obviously, he stays. And you know, if he gets anywhere near under thirty seats, the same majority as now, anything less than that, then he probably stays until the next election because he's 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 proved it. Despite being he'd be very old at the next election. Here <laughs> is a very strange thought. You say you don't believe the polls. Let's just believe them for a, for a second. Theresa May can't, she may win, but she can't form a government on June the 9th. Jerry, does she does she have to go? Could we have another prime minister? I think we could. I think we could. I think you um you know the leaders debate last night. Obviously, Amber Rudd we know stood in stood in her place, and and there were there were whisperings on social media last night that maybe that was a bit of a test and to see what uh, what. 
or how Amber would stand up to that and, I don't know, maybe teeing her up as the next leader of the Tories. Um, but yeah, I I think if, if it all goes, you know, a bit pear-shaped for it, it might be a bit of a difficult position to, to hold on to. She called this election. It was her idea. So can she stay on if it all goes wrong? Steve? Amazing to have another unelected, another, <laughs> another unelected prime minister, wouldn't it? Um, I think if she, if there's no movement at all, no positive movement, and even if she's, I think even if, I mean, if she adds another ten to twenty seats, she's probably mortally wounded, isn't she? If that's all the best that she can do, um, uh, anything other than that, I think she she goes, um, and uh, and and obviously if it is in the you know, fifty to eighty scenario. Uh, I think that's that becomes interesting, but but you know, she stays and she can uh, and she can maybe sort of moderate her language on Brexit a bit and be a bit more inclusive. Anything over a hundred, and you know, she can do whatever she wants. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back in just a second with Brexit of the week. Brexit of the week. Welcome back. I'm joined by Steve again, and Steve is going to pick for us uh, the Brexiteer of the Week. Uh, yes, it's been a really uh, good week for idiocy uh, among the Brexiteers, uh, as is obviously every week. Uh, campaign literature coming out now. Uh, this will be our last podcast before the big day, uh, but there are some uh, spectacular UKIP leaflets uh, out there. Uh, I just want to highlight a couple. Uh, You might have seen these on social media. You might not. Uh, Alan Piper, he's standing in Barrow and Furness. Uh, He's a landlord in his spare time. Uh, And part of his campaign literature, which also features a tremendous bit of clip art by what I presume is his daughter... Uh, who is it, because, because it's signed by a Theresa Eleven or something like this. Uh, but bearing in mind that he's a, the landlord, he's the landlord of the ship in uh, the Sun Inn rather in Coniston, and and it says Alan's a publican, not a politician. He's Clarkson without the stake. Get him in there and watch the fireworks. To which you could only add, <laughs> aha, he's Alan Piper, is Alan Partridge masquerading uh, under another name. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a remarkable piece of campaign literature. I did think that that would be the best piece of campaign literature I saw from UKIP in this, uh, in this election. But no, Robert Hall Palmer, he is in uh, Nottingham East. Uh, and I'm going to read you the whole of the front of his uh, leaflet. He's standing for UKIP, obviously. Fantastic. Uh, what's what, not, Nottingham? What does that conjure up to you? What famous names? Oh, Brian Clough. Yeah, not him. Um, also wore a green jumper. <laughs> Nigel Clough. Not Nigel Clough, no. Okay. Is it Robin Hood? Yes. Ah. So here we go. This is Robert Hall Palmer's election address. The statue of Robin Hood, and I'm just breaking out of character here to say that there is one in Nottingham City Centre. The statue of Robin Hood was donated by the Clay family. Yeah. Here, uh, the bow and arrow were often being broken off. My family legend goes my grandfather, acting for the Clays, came up with the idea of replacing the lower section of the bow and arrow in steel. The sun used to shine on this, although it has recently been painted. Has the sun been painted? I don't know. Anyway, he goes on. I would remove the upper bronze half and replace it with steel to complete and balance the statue. 
this is the sort of common sense I would apply to all problems in the constituency to bring improvement. This is a grown human man's election address. This is what he thinks is going to win over the people of Nottingham. The best bit about that, though, is... <laughs> just... the t- and the touching bit is that his grandfather, who is legendary, according to... Yeah. Uh, he, he's, as Robin Hood is, he, he's, uh, he's carrying on his work. This is is nice. There's a legacy aspect to this. It's been passed down generation to generation, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. Who's next? So that was really good. I I, I really enjoyed that. Um, There there are some other great uh, stuff around this weekend. uh, This week, rather. Um, Of course, Nick Griffin. Lovable Nick. We've missed him, (laughs) haven't we? Now, uh, he was going to move to Hungary. Uh, to join uh, what he described as a... He said that there was a sort of nationalist emigre community uh, developing in Hungary. But he has now now been excluded from Hungary. The the, the Hungarian government have denied him an entry visa and a resident visa. And this must be really conflicting for Nick Griffin, who obviously (laughs) is not in favour of admitting extremists from foreign lands into your country. So I enjoyed him. I also enjoyed... And let me get this one woman's name right, uh, Janice Atkinson, who most people will know, uh, called for the death penalty to be introduced for suicide bombers. So I'll just leave that one <laughs> with you. You can come to that one in your own time. Um, the Brexiteer of the week, though, uh, and we hear just as we're recording this that he's been named a person of interest by the FBI in the whole uh, Trump and Russia thing, uh, is Nigel Farage. Um Nigel Farage was interviewed by Rachel Johnson uh, the other day. It was a nice piece on the Victoria Derbyshire show and once again uh, spoke about how sad his life was. I think he said that the last year of his life had been hellish. Uh, And he said said that he was, uh, I'm 53, separated skin. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? To which I want to say, yes, it is great. I'm really pleased that you're unhappy for what you've done. And by the way, you live in a four million pound house in Chelsea and you're asking us to believe that your life is hellish. Um, So Nigel Farage, once again, is Brexiteer of the Week and he's a complete f***ing idiot. (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Steve. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. That's it from the podcast for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Um, the newspaper is out now, so go and buy it. Uh, all good news agents. You can also log on um, to our website at www.theneweuropean.co.uk. And we'd also like to uh, take some questions from, from you. So if you have any questions for any of the people who have appeared on the podcast, uh, send us a message on Twitter using the hashtag TNEpodcast. Uh, and we'll try and get some of your questions on air. Thank you very much.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.